Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick along with Kirsty Miles, and we today are talking about Kirsty, I know a topic that's near and dear to your heart considering you're a physical therapist, but we are talking about the supervision requirements for the clinical fellowship for ASHA. Woo! Kirstie. Sounds exciting. <laughs> well, it does because you and I both employ speech therapists who are in their CF. So <laughs> as a physical therapist, you've had to learn a whole lot about this world, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because just this week when I was working with a speech therapist until you came into the session and I was doing stuff with her patients on my computer and it was very speech stuff happening. But <laughs> once they got up and started doing some motor stuff, I closed my computer because I'm like, well, now I have information. Now I have input. <laughs> yes. Kirstie started paying good attention when we started playing red light, green light, and Simon says. I was like, oh, this is fun now. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the stuff we were doing before that was fun too, but I like the Simon Says. I did not, but <laughs> that's because it's just a different perspective. Right, right. Well, it, but the red light, green light, and Simon Says was fun too. So then see, the, we could, so see that we did a speech session that looked very motor. Yes. And it was fun. The kid, we, we were actually, all of us were having a lot of fun. And I think the little fella who was in there was also having fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was a good time. And that is a good example or a good way to segue because I am working with that therapist now completing her CF with her. She and I are kind of partnering together is how I sort of see this. So to kind of start us off, I was going to tell this little story. So my husband, David, is a criminal defense attorney. And so sometimes when I'm talking to David in regular conversation, sometimes it doesn't take long before I feel like I'm like... You know, Your Honor, I swear I tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You know, it's kind of like I get on the witness stand all of a sudden as he's cross-examining me. Not that bad, but sometimes I'm like, look, just because I said so. <laughs> but he started doing this thing a couple of years ago where when I would come home and I would say, oh, my gosh, I would maybe be talking about something, for example, at work. to say like, I don't know how to keep the art supplies in the clinics, you know, clean and organized in a way that therapists can get them quickly and we can clean them up quickly. And yet you've got a variety of stuff there because art supplies to me are always hard to keep that stuff right, you know, like personally at home and at work. And so I'm talking sort of generally. And so he would always, and he started doing this thing like two years ago and he would say, well, like what? Like, well, what do you mean like what? Like the art supplies, they're messy. Well, like what? What's messy? Well, that whole kind of thing throws me off because I'm like, I just wanted to generally sort of complain about it right now and not really get into the specifics of it, <laughs> like this like what thing. But now he started doing that. So what it's done is caused me to start thinking, okay, what about this isn't working for me, like specifically? And how do I want to fix this problem? So it's actually a really good thing, this whole like, like what? And I've noticed now I've started saying it sometimes back to him, but I've also started saying it to myself. And because the older I get, I think the more I start talking to myself. But anyway, the like what? And it's caused me also sometimes to say it with other people. So a lot of times, the reason I'm telling this story today is because with Kirstie and I, when we're doing interviews or when we're talking to therapists in general about working here at PDT, and I'm talking about this because CFs, you know, you're starting a career. So I'm thinking about talking about hiring new people and and about the time when this podcast comes out, where we're talking about hiring new people and new speech people coming right out of school, starting their career. That whole CF position is a brand new job, first job right out of school. They'll talk to us a lot about, we want mentorship, we want training, and I want a good mentor, I want a good trainer. And so it always causes me in my head to think, like what? Tell me about that. 
give me some more information. You know what I'm saying? Kirsten, you and I hear them talk about all kinds of stuff that's sometimes that like what question, though it's not exactly phrased like that, causes them to start to really think about what they want in supervision, right? And it's so different for each one of them. Mm -hmm. But when you start Mm -hmm. really digging into that, sometimes they know and sometimes they don't know. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, I, I remember getting out of, right out of graduate school when I was doing my CF. I didn't give it any thought. Like I didn't think at all about what I wanted in a supervisor or what really worked best for me. So to start us off, you know, we're going to talk about the ASHA rules because ASHA in 2020 have some new rules for the speech language pathology certification standards. They have some new rules that they're implementing and putting into play starting in 2020. So we thought it would be a good podcast to review some of those rules, hit some of the highlights and but then also just talk a little bit about supervision, kind of with the focus on the CF supervision. So that's what this podcast is about today. It's all about like, like what for a supervisor, right? What does ASHA say is the purpose of a clinical fellow? Because this is different than occupational therapy or physical therapy. We don't have that in either of the motor disciplines. So what does ASHA say is the purpose? ASHA, to answer your question, Kirstie, here's what ASHA says. The reason that we have the CF part in becoming a full-fledged speech therapist, I say full-fledged, you know, to getting your certificates of clinical competence from ASHA, but then there's also a CF period that you have to do for the state of North Carolina and in pretty much most states. I'm most familiar with North Carolina because that's kind of where we are, but to get a permanent license in the state of North Carolina, you also have to do a CF. And to get your certificate of clinical competence, your C's, as they call it in the speech world, you have to do a CF, a clinical fellowship. And it starts right after you graduate. And it's for nine months. Like birth and a baby. That's right. Really 36 weeks. So it's... (laughs) almost 40 weeks, but it's right. It's like, and I really call it, gotta look at the CF in terms of trimesters, but we'll get into that. So the purpose of it is to basically take your academic knowledge of what you learned in graduate school, integrate that into a practical application in the real world working clinical application, and then also to get feedback. It allows an opportunity for the person right out of graduate school to get feedback from someone who has more experience as they refine their clinical skills. So really the CF period is what I like to call in sort of layman's terms, kind of like you're out, you're practicing, you're a real speech therapist doing the real thing. You have a safety net because you're basically sort of helping you integrate from the graduate school world out into a clinical practicing speech therapist. So that's why we do it. So it could have been shorter, but that's not how I roll. I talk a lot, right? (laughs) So, Kirsten knows that about me. I do. <laughs> See, look, on this podcast, you've got these single word utterances, and I've got these. <laughs> I'm really worried about your MLU. Anyway, we'll work on that later. So, as a CF, I think we should talk before we get into all these changes that have happened, and there's not that. Well, I don't know. There's pretty significant changes, but go to the ASHA website. You can read them all. They've got this really, really nice chart that helps like as a side-by-side comparison from the 2014 SLP standards to the 2020 SLP standards. And it's like the rationale for change is this pretty little chart and it's color-coded. Really nice. It explains it all very clearly because today on the podcast, we're just going to hit the high points. Before we get into this nitty gritty of this, I really want to talk about as a CF, you need to sort of think about what you want for yourself in mentorship and training. So when Kirsten and I are doing interviews, we ask about supervisors and what do they want in a supervisor, right? We do. And I feel like, you know, as a graduate student, you probably are the best spot ever to understand and know what you do want because you've just gotten out of graduate school having had like a whole bunch of different supervisors. 
you know, you so you should kind of start to know what does work for you and what doesn't work for you, like style wise. And we do we during interviews, we hear people that have had good supervisors, people that have not been thrilled with their supervisor, maybe the way they gave feedback, maybe I don't know what all the rules are with supervision as a student, but maybe they weren't around (laughs) a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) to give feedback. So Mm -hmm. I think that people have been exposed to the good, the bad, the ugly. They have been. And um, so they kind of know what does and doesn't work for them. And so some of the things Kirsten and I could go through and talk about some of the things and qualities that as a CF getting right out that you should think about in a supervisor. And so one are communication. And we hear this a lot, right, Steve? We talk about, oh, what are some of the characteristics you look for in a supervisor? And sometimes the first thing they say is communication. Well, what exactly does that mean? Right. It's different for different people that we interview or even bring on board. But some people are referring to how they get and receive communication. Sometimes they're referring to how easily accessible is their CF? Are they there in the same building with them all day? Are they reachable by phone? Do they like email, face-to-face communication? So it takes it on a couple of different meanings. I think so. Exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. So I think if some people, when they say communication, are you one of those? Do you want someone to be there all day? Or are you okay with somebody being there once a week or twice a week or you know, three times a week? Or how often, when you say communication, do you want to talk to this person who is your supervisor? And there's good and bad to both, to having somebody there all day long and to have somebody there just a, maybe a couple times a week or just see them one time a week. There's good and bad to both of those things. And I don't even want to really say bad. There's just differences, right? Positives and negatives to both of those situations. There is. Uh, well, I mean, if you take into account, if you had your supervisor while you were in your clinical, they're in the same room with you treating from eight to five, Monday through Friday, and they chimed in every time you did something that maybe wasn't the way they would do it, you're getting continuous feedback all day long and you don't have any opportunity to kind of explore and think what you would do in that situation. And really, this is your time to start trying things out, what works, what doesn't work, kind of getting into your groove, a little bit finding your style as a therapist, but then really taking from your CF supervisor their input and not always having them right there to give you that jump in feedback. I think there's there's times and places for that, but to happen all the time is not realistic. I don't think it is either. And I don't think it's the best thing for somebody to jump in all the time. If we think about our styles, my style is I'm going to jump in. I always tell every CF I come with a warning. Like I just cannot sit in the corner on my hands. I just can't do it. So I tend to involve myself in the session. And sometimes that's not the best thing. And I have to really watch it because again, well, the CF is not about me. I've already got my C, so it's about that other person. I have trouble just sitting back and just watching 100% of the time. And so sometimes uh, when I've worked with different CFs, they're like, well, gosh, was I not doing it right? And I'm like, no, no, you're doing great. Like, Why did you jump in? It's because I can't sit there. Like, I just can't sit in that corner. So I've had to really watch that about myself as to know when to sit and get better about that and then when to jump in. But if you have somebody who's a jumper in her all the time, then it doesn't allow for what you said, Kirsty, to sort of make some mistakes and try it on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your style is different than mine. Why don't you talk about your style a little bit? Well, I do have that same problem with jumping <laughs> in, but I'm very aware of that. So if I am there, I definitely ask the person, where do you want me? 
do you want me right next to you? Because I'm happy to do that. But I'm telling you, I'm going to give you feedback right then and there. Mm -hmm. So if you want me to sit back and if you look at me, I will come over and join or we can talk about it after the session and I'm going to observe and listen to everything because I know that about myself because I know that it can be a takeover and then I feel like I'm doing them a disservice by not allowing them the opportunity to try some things first. That's been something that having different students over the years that I've picked up on. I literally have to be like, you know what, I'm going to go make a photocopy of this. You're fine. You got this and I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. By nature, we're doers. So it's really hard to sit back and not do. But if that's what they want and they want to observe, okay, well, then I'm going to do. So this is really my session. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it just goes back to what they say they want. I think one of my biggest things, and this comes from me being a student, is I didn't want any faith in my abilities taken away from me from a supervisor. So I didn't prefer to have feedback right there in the moment of maybe what I was doing wrong. Um, And it's not always that you're doing something wrong. I mean, that's all relative. Maybe there's a way to do it better, but I'd rather have somebody tell me outside of the session because I think if the parent is sitting right there and they hear that going on, it doesn't give any faith in you as a student. And so I think it works the same way for bringing in a new therapist. You know, if number one, just take, for example, a PT. I know we're talking about CFs and speech, but any discipline, really, they know that they're brand new to the practice, you know. And so if you then are in there commenting on their session, it doesn't give that parent a whole lot of faith in their abilities and their level of skill and knowledge. And so I just hate to take anything away from them by having conversation maybe right in front of the parent. No, I agree. And I think that's important for the CF right out of school to think about and as a supervisor for you to think about like how and when you give feedback. And I may or may not be interviewing with your person that would be doing your CF, but just as a practice or as a place where you're working, what's the expectation for giving feedback or how does that normally look? Or just ask some questions about that because you probably know what works for you. And so you need to think about that and ask around it. And as a supervisor, you need to think about how you give feedback, but how's it best for the CF to receive that feedback? And are you doing it in a way that's most beneficial and helpful to them because you're helping them build a foundation for the rest of their career? So I think it's really important for both people to sort of have that discussion and kind of be on the same page with, you know, that's something to think about. So communication styles, what type of style they are with supervision? Are they a jumper in or are they sitting back and watch? Are they a combination of the above? And will they change their approach to best help you as the CF? You know, I think that's important to ask. I'm just doing a little review. Feedback. Mm -hmm. How do you like to get feedback? How do they like to give feedback? And are they willing to change their style? And are you as a CF willing to sort of change your style to also help accommodate the supervisor a little bit? Yeah. And when you're talking about feedback, too, I think you have to account for different personality types. We provide everybody with a personality test here at PDT so we can work with what's best for each individual. Mm -hmm. Some people will tell us, you know, I like my feedback after because I need time to process and think about about it, talk through different options. And I think that goes to different people's personality types too. Some people can really handle it in the moment and it makes sense because then you can kind of shift and do right there in the moment. Whereas other people are like, no, I need to be away from it, process the information, then go back and try these new things and then come back to you to say what works, what didn't work. Another thing to think about is how will the CF time be scheduled? You know, I have a whole way that I like to specifically do a CF. I break them down into trimesters. There are certain 
certain things I think that need to be covered in the first three months, the second three months, the third three months. I've got a whole thing. But I think as a CF and as a supervisor, you need to think about, okay, how will this time get scheduled? So for ASHA, there has to be 36 supervisory activities that happen in a 36-week period. So for North Carolina and for ASHA, and we're speaking more about ASHA today than North Carolina, but there are requirements that you have to do for supervision. And so for ASHA, they require 36 supervisory activities during experience. And you have to, of course, abide by that guideline. So you can't do less than that. But in my opinion... There's always more that has to be done than that, especially at the beginning. And so I have a whole thing that happens around that to help best support the CF. But as a CF, you need to ask, how will it be done? Is the minimum done? Was there ever opportunity for more than the minimum? How does that work if I get that? You know, what is the organization's uh, commitment to that? If more has to be done, are they willing to allow the CF supervisor to do more? How much more? So I would ask some questions around that. And does it have to be just direct patient treatment time? Or does it count if you're writing up an evaluation together after the session? How does that work? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So because North Carolina and ASHA differ a little bit in this way, and it ends up that here we do more than actually what's required from either one to make sure we are in compliance with both. So it's important to know your state guidelines and your ASHA guidelines is basically the takeaway. But for ASHA, 18 of the 36 have got to be on-site, direct, one-on-one with a patient and the clinical fellow, the whole thing all together. But then there also has to be other 18 other monitoring activities, which can be like reviewing a report together, writing a report. Typically, that's how the best use of your time. But I mean, there are other monitoring activities and you can look on ASHA to find those. There has to be 18 others. That answers your question. Yes. So yes. And really for North Carolina, all of mine's direct one-on-one with the patient. Because with a brand new CF, for example, you do an eval with a brand new CF, they need some support with the report writing too, in my opinion. Usually most CFs do. And they usually like it and want it and need it. So it's all a good thing. So you need to ask questions around that as a CF to know what you can do. And then as a supervisor, if you're going to agree to do it, what the organization will allow you to do so you can stay in compliance. But a few other things that I think might be helpful just to consider when you're doing your CF or just any supervision really in general or starting as the CF, you know, you may want to ask how many supervisions that they've done there at this particular place. So what's their knowledge about it? What's the relationship between your boss and your supervisor, because your clinical supervisor may not be your boss. So what's that relationship and who do you go to for what? You know, some Kirsten, I usually explain all that here at PDT and we make sure they understand that. Also, it's your CF and you're building a foundation for you. So you need to know what the guidelines are for the state and for ASHA, have the paperwork ready. You should be in charge of all that. If you're dependent on your supervisor to do that, I think that's not their responsibility. It's yours. It's their responsibility to do your CF, but it's your paperwork. They've already got their Cs. As long as they've complied with what they have to do as a CF, you should keep track of it. And then also, what other professionals are going to be around you? I think it's really important. Kirsten and I talk about that a lot. At PDT, we have OT, PT, and speech working together. And I think in a CF especially, or really all the time, it's important to have the other professionals you can work around so that you can grow as as a professional. And it's part of the ASHA requirements too now to, to be around other professionals as well. So I think that's important to think about who else am I going to be with because you need to be around other professionals. I don't think it's a good idea to be out there all by yourself. We just have somebody here at PDT that just finished up their clinical fellow year and Mm -hmm. has signed off on the paperwork and everything. She has gotten really, really good about if I'm over there just with a PT perspective. She's like, you know, can you come in and look at this kiddo? I think he's doing that WSID thing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's great. have that awareness and start to pull in your other disciplines and 
you know, should I refer? Should I make a request for a PT eval? And so just gaining more confidence in referring to your other disciplines too. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the questions on the, uh, it's what I call the bubble sheet for ASHA, but it's one of the questions that you have to rate the CF on is, you know, has their understanding of when to make referrals, has that gotten better and appropriate as the CF has gone on? Do they know when to make referrals to other disciplines or to other professionals? You know, that can be ENT, PT, OT, whatever, um, nutrition, but that's one of the questions on the ASHA bubble sheet. That's definitely something they should be getting, and it sounds like she did, so that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think for so long in graduate school, you kind of get in your little bubble of your speech world. Since we're talking about speech, I'll use speech, but you kind of get in your bubble of your little speech world and you kind of do the speech things. And then it takes you a minute or two as you're treating and getting out of graduate school to sort of begin to look up. You know, you kind of keep your head down. You're like, okay, you know, speech language and all the stuff that goes around that. And you forget to sort of take a step back and look at the whole child. And I think during the CF, that for sure has to happen. But you have to have the support to help you to do that. Well, and, you know, just for example, we see children with all different types of diagnoses, but sometimes a speech therapist will be like, yeah, do you know anything about apraxia of speech? I'm like, well, usually if they have apraxia of speech, they've got some motor apraxia happening in other places. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a lot of times they have motor coordination difficulty, and I think it's good to just be aware of those things. Yep. I agree 100%. So some of the highlights, I'm just going to highlight some of the changes with ASHA, these 2020 SLP standards or supervision. There's some coursework changes that has to do a standard 4A and standard 4C. So you need to take a look at those specifically like for standard 4A, the student who is getting their CF have to have coursework in physics and chemistry. And then there's also some standard changes in the coursework language for 4C that has to do like more specifically, they got a little bit more specific in the feeding area and they've added some language around like phonology and speech. I think they expanded the speech stuff to include more motor speech, some words around that as well, around motor speech, because before it was just, just at articulation, but now it's got like motor planning and, and it includes articulation and phonology and accent modification, stuff like that. And then fluency. They expanded that a little bit. So you need to look through those standards for C to make sure that you understand just they've expanded a little bit. So pay attention to that. The big thing also to look for in the clinical CF, there's also language that has to do with as a student. So my opinion on this is and every graduate program that's accredited with ASHA, their clinical director and the faculty there at that program need to be aware of these changes and they need to be communicating with the supervisors where they're placing the students that that they understand what these changes are regarding the students and clinical observation like the observation time there's guided observation you have to have more guided observation now before you get to your 375 hours so those first hours you have to do and then there's language in there that says that the supervisor for the students has to be in the building I already thought that was there I was shocked that that wasn't already in there because I've never had a student I left alone in a building. That should just be a given, yes. <laughs> like, kind of like, duh, right? Um, so, I mean, I would never leave a student alone in a building, but that wording is specifically in there now because I guess that was a problem. Anyway, and then I feel like every credited program, it's their responsibility to make sure they're guiding their students because they don't know to look at the stuff yet to educate them, but it also makes sure that the supervisors, wherever they're placing students, are fully informed and that they've, as supervisors, have done their due diligence to stay up to date on all these changes, you know, kind of your responsibility professionally. But then also in terms of the CF mentors training, here's a big change. You have to have been working for nine months after your CF is complete. So nine months with your C's and be working full time 
uh, before you can do a supervision for somebody else's C's. You also have to have a class and supervision before you can do that CF. So those are two big changes. One, you have to have been working full time and after you've already gotten your C's, and then you also have to take a supervisory class before you can do a CF. So those two things have changed, and that's a big deal. And then just for everybody, for ASHA, for everybody to maintain your C's, you have to have at least one credit hour in ethics. So, so you have to have some ethics training every three years because you have to get 30 hours. So one of those hours has to be in ethics. So I have two actual comments. You mentioned about students and, you know, that give back, like everybody at some point in their career should take a student. So a quick comment about that is we take students here at PDT because we believe that we do therapy how it should look. It's a lot of work and it's hard. And we take CFs because we believe in how we deliver therapy. And so that's really important that you're going to a place that has had CFs in their buildings and um, mm -hmm. at different places, but that also that wants to do them because it's really important. You know, Hayden, you always say, well, somebody did mine. Yeah. You know, that's how I got into the field. And I think it is, it's a huge give back to our profession. And it's even more important when you're with an organization who's doing it correctly, who's practicing ethically, who's going to great lengths for every single child on the caseload. So I think that that's really important too. We're both in professions that require lifelong learning. You know, if, if you feel like you've sort of, okay, well, I know it all, you you probably you time for a career change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, need yeah. to, you need to look, examine. So a culture that promotes lifelong learning would be a place where you would just expect that they would have graduate students, you know, once you were ready for that in your career and that you would also do with somebody's CF once you were at the point where you were ready for that in your career. You know, I think you have to be at a point to get ready for that, but I think it is an expectation, right? Yes. So I think some of the changes that have happened are really good ones. I mean, this podcast, you know, is, as we were even planning for this, we're thinking, well, this is probably not going to like set out firecrackers, right? Because like, well, certification standards, that's Let's talk about that. That's awesome. But fun. <laughs> yeah. But personally for me, I love a CF. Like I love, love, love to do CFs because I like that teaching and learning. I've never done a CF where I didn't learn something, though they didn't teach me something. So I love that. And I like to teach, you know, development. Like Kirsty mentioned, the fact we do personality tests here. Well, development's in my top five are strength factors. So I love to see people develop and grow. I love to see a therapist start at their CF and then see them at the end of their CF because they're so different. They've achieved so much and I just, I love it. And I'm always like at the end of the CF, I'm like, okay, cool. This is where the fun stuff starts to happen because now we've got the foundation built. Now we can get to the nitty gritty, like cool, nerdy speech topics that are so much fun, right? Mm -hmm. But so I personally think this kind of topic is really like actually kind of fun, but it's not necessarily for the broader audience out there. It's probably not the most fun, but it's something we really have to just stay up on. We have to be cognizant of changes. We have to follow the rules like we say here all the time. And so it's one of these that we need to know about. So that's why we thought it was important to do this podcast. Everybody needs to stay informed. Well, and, you know, for me, for PT, I can't even renew my license unless I take my ethics credits. Yeah, I've been thinking this is long overdue. I'm all about an ethics class. I think it's great. So I agree. So I'm so glad that's actually one of the changes. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think all the changes they've done are great. They make sense to me. So for full details on that, you can look on the ASHA website and we can have a link on our podcast website, theworkingtherapist.com for more specific information. Like I said before, they had this really handy dandy chart, print that bad boy out, a supervisor. So the old was, and now what the new is, it's very clear cut. It's very simple and it's really not hard to do.
in terms of following the new rules and guidelines, it's pretty simple and it all makes sense really. So that being said, maybe we'll do one, Kirsty, on PT certification. Now, would that be fun? We've done one on supervision before, but I think it's really important and we should highlight, you know, just the CEU requirements and how to log those. I think that would be important. So you heard Kirsty's response. She's very excited. No, so stay tuned for other topics that maybe are, are a little more therapy based, right, Kirsty, than this one was or more like therapy specific? Yes more stuff you can use. This is important. I mean, you need your license. You need to get your C's. <laughs> Amen. And you know what? You got to follow the rules or you won't get it and you certainly won't keep it. So there you go. Right. Um, so when we're all about following the rules, so that works for us. So anyway, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.